0: Good morning. It's good to be with you again. I'm especially happy this morning. Uh, my, my folks are here all the way from Portland, Oregon. They got in a couple of days ago. My dad and I uh, were at a conference uh, this weekend in Dallas, and that was a blessing to be with him and get to, to speak with him on a panel. Uh, and it's a blessing to, to see them and their, their faces in the audience this morning. Uh, you know, no matter how old you get, you're, you're somebody's kid, and that's always a good reminder. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the the time, the space that you have given us to help us encounter Jesus in ways that maybe in the, the busyness of our daily lives we overlook and we rush past. And so we slow down and we take a deep breath and we invite you to help us see you. And this morning, God, I pray that you would would help us to see you in one another, that we would see your goodness, your nearness, and your grace. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Sooner or or later in life, we all kind of learn that there are things about us that are better left unsaid, things that we just, we don't really want to bring up unless we're we're forced to, certain things. Thoughts that we might have, certain feelings, certain questions that we wrestle with, certain actions and behaviors that we are either tempted to do or we, we actually participate in. We aren't born with, with this sense of guardedness and privacy. We, we don't come hardwired to, to keep things hidden. Anyone who's ever raised a child or spent any significant time with a very young child will know this. They have no shame. They don't, they don't understand. You have to tell them that it's a good idea to keep your clothes on around people you just met. And, and you have to explain to them that not everybody, nobody other than mommy and daddy wants to get all the details about what just happened in the potty. Right? They'll tell anybody. And, and you think, what? And it's not just those kinds of things. They'll, they'll make observations too loud about people they don't know who are too close and suddenly those people turn around and look at you. You know, just questions like, Daddy, why is that guy wearing that hat? It looks silly on him. Or, Daddy, that lady just almost fell down and it was so funny. And and they say it and the person turns around and blames you for the, the questions that, that your child has, right? You, you don't come knowing anything about shame. You, you don't come into this world understanding from the beginning that, that this is a part of human life. You have to learn how to have shame. You you learn from the way people react to you when you say certain things or when you act in certain ways. You you learn from having someone you care about start to look at you differently after they find out something about you that they hadn't known up to that point. And you can sense it. You can see them start to, to, to believe in you less. You can sense them start to pull away from you. We all know what that experience is like. And you only have to feel that kind of rejection once to decide that you never ever want to feel it again. And so you decide that you may never tell anyone else in this world the whole truth about who you are and what you feel and what you've done. Shame has the power to make pretenders out of us all. Because once you figure out that, that our unedited, uncensored selves might not be good enough... Well, we start to develop ways to hide our mistakes and to run from admitting our struggles, to cover them up, to, to bury our uncomfort- uncomfortable questions and, and the things that, that nobody else can really seem to help us change or understand. We pretend to instead have it all together, to, to always be doing just fine, thank you very much. We, we don't just do it somewhere out there, we do it Right in this room. There are real dangers that come with pretending like that. Because somewhere along the line, we can start to buy the lies that we're trying to convince other people are true. And if we do that long enough, we start to have difficulty knowing our real selves. Do I really believe what I tell other people I believe? Do I really feel the way I say I feel? Do I really think the way I tell other people I think? Are the motivations that drive me, are they really the reasons I'm giving other people? Do I really value the things I say matter most to me? Do I really want to follow Jesus in every way, or do I want to look enough like somebody who follows Jesus in just enough ways? Oh, This is is difficult, because nobody outside of, of you can help you hold on to that true version of yourself with all of its strengths and weaknesses with all of the good and the bad and the ugly and all the stuff that we wish just wasn't the case we we have we have to come to a place where all of it all of it is something we can talk about something we can Admit something we can confess. And if we're not able to confess, if we're not able to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth about ourselves, about you, about me, we will constantly be running from it. Jesus tells us so long ago something that I think we don't really fully understand when he says that the truth, the truth is what sets us free. Open your Bible up to 1 John, chapter 1. I'm going to be reading verses 5 through 9. This is the message that we have heard from him and announced to you, John says, God is light, and there is no darkness in him at all. If we claim we have fellowship with him, and live in the darkness, we are lying, and we do not act truthfully. But if we live in the light in the same way as he is in the light, we have fellowship with each other, and the blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us from every sin. If we claim well, we don't have any sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from everything we've done wrong. Now it's it's one thing to not tell the whole truth to other people. It's, it's one thing to deceive others, but it is another thing to deceive ourselves. I mean, it, it's one thing to describe our way ourselves in, in ways that we know are not fully true. But it's another thing entirely for us to mistake those lies for the truth. I mean, losing ourselves, I think, is is even a worse kind of being lost than losing our way. Because finding a way back home seems to me to be easier than making sure that it's the real you who walks through the door. And that's difficult to admit, and it's difficult to wrestle with, and it's difficult to have to to say out loud. But here's the thing, and you've experienced this, you know this, that even if you're really good at telling lies about yourself, virtuous lies, right, lies that you think you're telling for the sake of other people to help them be comfortable around you or want to be your friend or stay in a relationship with you, those kinds of lies that you tell about yourself that at some point along the way could actually start to look like and feel like the truth to you, Somewhere deep inside, you have this spiritual sense of memory that doesn't get tricked. And while you may no longer have an easy road back to the true you, you know you're not the real you. You know you're pretending. Even though you may not know the truth anymore, you know you're not telling it. It's harder to wrestle with this than to talk about where we're trying to go, or, or even what we're trying to do, the first question we really have to wrestle with and find a way back to, understanding the, the reality, is not where am I trying to go or what am I trying to do. The real foundational question is, who am I, really? Who are you, really? Not, not who do you wish you, you could be. I mean, that's worth talking about. It is. But, but for just this morning, just this moment, I want you to wrestle with not who you wish you were, not, not that edited version of yourself that you feel like is fit for human consumption. But the real you. Who are you? When John writes this letter of his to a church filled with people that he loves, he seems to think that this is not just our problem, but it's a human problem. And not only does he think it's a human problem or struggle, he starts by addressing it. Before he writes almost anything else in this letter, he starts by saying, don't listen to this letter be read over a church while you're pretending to be somebody you aren't. Don't try to listen to these words telling yourself that you already live them. Because you don't. And so, if you and I are going to open our hearts on any any given Sunday or any given moment where we sit down and we want God's Word to speak to us, if we want God's Word to get into our souls, to get into our lives, if we want, in other words, God's Word to be able to tell us the truth, it starts by us telling the truth. That's where it begins. And that's hard because, brothers and sisters, I'm afraid that when we gather together as the church, one of the things that's happening every single Sunday morning is that at least somebody in this room is pretending. Pretending to be somebody they aren't. And they're not just doing it to impress you, they're they're not just doing it to, to... To say, well, I've accomplished all this, or I'm successful at all this, or aren't you happy that I'm at this church? That's not really why we pretend. I think after we get good at pretending and telling virtuous lies about ourselves that we think is for the sake of somebody else, that we start to tell those kinds of lies. I think the basic reason we lie is not because we want to make ourselves look better than we are. We lie because we're afraid we're not good enough to be in the room at all. We don't lie because we want to impress somebody as much as we lie because we just don't want them to leave. They don't They don't know everything about us. And only we know that. We just don't want them to leave. Or or maybe it's that we don't want them to ask us to leave. Every time the church gathers together, somebody in the room's pretending. And there are times that somebody is me. And there are times that somebody's you. But we'd rather not talk about that. We'd, we'd rather study other things. We, we'd rather get on to understanding and applying God's word. But the, but the struggle is who are you as you listen to God's word? Who are you as you try to live out what you're reading? John believes this is the very beginning, and he says that we cannot pretend to be in a a life-saving relationship with God. We might pretend with each other, but we can't pretend with God. And so we, we either are in a relationship with God that's real and authentic and open, or we aren't. And I think we have to at least begin with that confession, that we cannot pretend to be actually living in, in light of God's love while we are at the same time actively hiding things about us in the shadows. You can't go in both directions at the same time. That never works in life. It never works in the spiritual life either. It just doesn't work. You can't be pulled in two directions and think you're going to go anywhere. You're stuck. You're paralyzed. You can't move. God doesn't want that for us. God wants us to live in the warm light of his love. A love that not only forgives us, but changes us. And not all at once, but over time. Not under threat, but because of grace. The light of God's love shines brightly enough to show us the whole truth about ourselves. But not just the truth about ourselves. The truth about God and the life he wants us to enjoy. Walking in the light of God's love. Living in the light of God's love. First means coming to the point where we realize that our sins are real. Real. They're not just a distant memory. Our sins are real. And they have undeniable consequences. I mean, how terrified would you be if instead of singing and praying and, and preaching, what we had done this morning is simply gathered around the table of the Lord and instead of reading, which what I thought were very helpful general statements of confession, what if I said, before any of us takes, we're all going to line up and just go past this mic and confess our deepest, darkest sin, and then we'll, we'll eat together? I'm pretty sure we wouldn't eat. Right? Because that is the last thing we want. And it is the last thing, it's not just the last thing we want anywhere, it is definitely the last thing we want here. And if that's the last thing you would ever actually do physically, my guess is it's just about the last thing you're going to do spiritually and privately, is to speak the names of the sins that you wrestle with in your life, that you know you still struggle with, and that you know are still causing all kinds of difficult consequences to crash into your life and into the lives of other people you love. We spin. We don't confess. We like to blame other people instead of admitting, no, I did this. I chose this. I said that. I thought it and then I carried my thought out. We don't like to talk like that because we have all had moments where we have decided to tell the truth to somebody and it blows up in our faces and it changes our relationship with that person forever and it doesn't change it for the good. It ruins the relationship. And, 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 and when we have that kind of experience with people we care about or we watch other people treat each other that way, you better believe that as, as, as Christians, as much as we would like to separate our relationships with people from our relationships with God, when we have the courage to sell somebody the truth about ourselves and then it breaks the relationship or it changes the way they see us forever, we start to project that on God. We just do. And then we we're not even willing to tell the truth to the one who made us. We're not willing to tell the truth to the one who can see through all the lies. We're just not willing. Because what if? Right? What what if we have done something? What if we have felt something? What if we have said something that we just can't receive forgiveness for? So we don't We don't call things by their real names. We don't call things by their true names, but we have to. Greed and lust and manipulation and deception and anger that turns into temper that scares people and frightens people and threatens people. Needing more than anything else our own way saying things and doing things, saying whatever we have to do and doing whatever we have to do to, to try to secure the version of the future we've convinced ourselves we need to have in order to have a good life. We have said things and we have done things that are, brothers and sisters, they're indefensible. We just have. We, we haven't just made a mess of some things in a room this large. I'm pretty sure we've all managed to make a mess of just about everything. the last thing we want is to open up and tell the truth about that, because what we're afraid is that when we tell that truth, we're choosing to say what's real at the risk of losing some of the people in our lives that mean more to us than life itself. And so we won't. We don't. John says, look, if we say we don't have sin... If we act like we don't have sin, when, whenever anybody asks you how you're doing, you say everything's good. When we talk like that, we deceive ourselves. But if we confess, John says, if we'll speak the truth about who we are, what, what does he say about what God will do? How does God respond to us confessing, telling the truth, the whole truth, the nothing but the truth about ourselves? There is never in Scripture... Ever a moment where somebody tells God the truth, God listens to the truth and says, Okay, I'm glad that you came clean, but this is over between us. That never happens. And yet, everybody, it seems, struggles to believe. Every person, David, when he writes Psalm 51, is afraid. Isn't that what he's begging? You've seen everything, God. You've heard everything, God. You knew what I was feeling. You knew what I was thinking. You knew what I was doing. But more than all of that, you know who I am. Please don't cast me out of your presence. Don't leave me alone, please. And and don't just listen to my heart, God, David says. Give me a new heart. Please. You don't ask for a new heart if the story you always tell everybody is that your heart's doing just fine. In human relationships, I think most of the time, acceptance is, is offered only after you tell someone the truth. It's definitely not an acceptance that, that's guaranteed before someone knows the truth about you. I mean, without directly saying it, here's what we basically say to each other in our relationships. Okay, you, you lay all your cards on the table. You tell me everything I, I ever possibly need to know about you. And once you've put everything out there, then I'll decide whether or not I want to have a relationship with you. And since, I, I need you to hear this, since we are convinced that we need relationships more than we need to be fully known in relationships, we lie. And we lie in our minds for the sake of the relationship. And it's what we do with God. We we know. I mean, we're at church on Sunday morning. We know that we need a relationship with God. But we also feel like we need a relationship with God more than we need that relationship to be completely and totally open and honest and true. Because what if? What if we we say everything that needs to be said and God listens to us and says, I'm not sure we can do this anymore. I'm not sure we can be friends anymore. I'm not sure that we can stay in this relationship anymore. I'm not sure about who you are anymore. We have all heard people talk like that to one another. We have all talked like that to one another and we are terrified that God is getting ready to talk like that to us. And so we hide. We hide and we are ashamed and we are embarrassed but you wouldn't know it by looking at us because we have learned how to pretend but it's so aren't you aren't you tired of pretending it's so exhausting it's so exhausting i mean it's hard sometimes to even keep it all straight I mean, I I remember the moment that I had to confess to Lauren that the only reason I had pretended to like romantic comedies was because we had been dating. And then finally, you have to admit it one night when you're, you know, back in the old days at the video store, where you'd have to actually go rent a movie together. And so you'd both pick like three or four movies and then you'd start the negotiation. And you finally have to come clean and say, I'm tired. I can't handle it anymore. I can't watch another realistic movie where people meet each other and they don't like each other and then they like each other and then one of them lies to the other one and then one of them gets on an airplane and the other one gets in a taxi and they just get there in time and they declare their love and then they get married. I can't watch another one. Here's the thing. Lauren forgave me. Here's the thing. (laughs) You know this already. God knows everything about you. And it's not in spite of knowing everything about you that God loves you. It's because God knows everything about you that God loves you. You're his... His son, you're his daughter. It it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what you've felt. It doesn't matter what you've thought. It doesn't matter. Because whatever else you think defines you, God's love for you defines you. It's who you are, you belong to Him, you're His. And here's how much God loves us. Here's how closely God's been watching us. He knows how scared we are of telling the truth, not knowing that, that when we tell the truth, everybody else in our lives, then they make the decision whether or not they want to stay in the relationship with us. Here's how God fixes that. He says, before you tell me one other thing about you, before you open up at all, I want you to know that you are worth the life of my son. Before you say a word, God says to you, I forgive you. God takes the risk out of telling the truth for us when it comes to relating to him. And I believe God is wanting us to take the risk out of telling the truth in this community. God promises to forgive us before we tell him a thing about what we've done. God promises us grace before we explain to him why we need his grace more than anything else in existence. And God promises to keep on forgiving us. He promises to keep letting us walk, live in the light before we accidentally stumble into the shadows again, which we will do. God knows we will. You know we will. I know we will. And God says, I forgive you anyway. God's grace isn't only for our past. God's grace forgives us in the present and it forgives us in the future. God's grace precedes our honesty and it precedes our transgressions. And we get nervous when we talk like that because we start to think that somebody's going to take advantage of grace. That's God's problem. It's not our problem to solve. And you've been loved like this before by somebody. Somebody whose grace precedes your failure. And they're the people, they're the only people you'll go to and say, I I messed up. Because you know that their love for you is a given. It's not something you earn. It's, It's not something that you have to perform. It's unconditional. It's there. No matter what else changes, it's there. Can you imagine a grace that precedes not only our honesty, our willingness to tell the truth, but a grace that precedes the things that we need to tell the truth about? You see, it turns out we don't get to live in the light because we're perfect. We get to live in the light because God's love for us is perfect. We get to live in the light when we choose to confess that we don't know how to live in the light on our own. That we are in desperate need of help. That we will always be in need of help. That isn't it, isn't it interesting that in the Christian life, the more mature I become, the more I realize how much I desperately need God and other people. It's not that the more mature I come in in my spiritual life that I decide I don't need anybody else's help, that I'm mature enough to stand on my own, on my own two feet, and I can handle this. No, that's that's a different story. That comes from a different place. The story we live in the church is, the older I get, the wiser I get, the more I understand that I was never created to be able to stand on my own two feet. I was created to be able to hold hands. I I was created for community. I was created to be in relationship with you, no matter what. See, I I think it's only when we believe part of the truth that confession gets so scary to us. And it's often how it gets communicated in church, right? It's like, I mean, confession scares us when the truth about our sins and our shortcomings is openly acknowledged, while at the same time, the truth of God's love is somehow, it's somehow diminished, where we say, well, we're, we're going to tell the whole truth about ourselves and then we're going to hope that God keeps the promise to, to save us and to love us anyway, but we're not quite sure. And we won't be quite sure until we get to heaven after we die. I, I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, there's something wrong with our theology when I sit down across a hospital bed from somebody in their 90s who is morally much better than I am, and, and they sit there and they worry about where they're going to go after they pass away because they've tried really hard and they've tried to tell the truth, but they're just not sure that God loves them anyway. You need to get up here in a second. We could <laughs> it'd be good. We, listen. Listen. It's easier to get people to pretend like they're good by giving them rules they can follow on their surface. But to help them know soul deep down that they're good. You don't try to control them through fear. You inspire them through love. And you don't get hung up on... Well, if we say if we start preaching a gospel where we say that grace precedes sin, that grace is given before you tell the truth, somebody's going to go ahead and decide that they might just can keep on sinning. Well, here's what's funny. Paul, when he preaches the gospel, has to answer that question because Paul understands that grace that the church tries to protect through rules and regulation is no longer God's grace. It's a fabrication and a copy that we use to control other people. If I, as a preacher, am not having to explain, no, 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 what I'm trying to say is if you love God, you wouldn't ever take advantage of God, you would trust God. If the grace I'm presenting isn't so absolute that I have to clarify like that, then it's not grace. God never uses the truth about us to hurt us. God never uses the truth about us to beat us up. Instead, God always uses the truth about us to to take us to the truth about him. The truth that no matter what we've thought or felt or done or no matter what we will think or feel or do, God loves you and he always will. This leads us to this week's uh, spiritual practice definition. Confessing is telling the whole truth about ourselves, trusting that the greater truth of God's love can save us from ourselves and set us free. Telling the whole truth about ourselves, trusting that the greater truth of God's love can save us from ourselves and set us free. See, the real challenge in all of this, I think, is that God's amazing grace has to become more than a doctrine we talk about imagining that theoretically God forgives you no matter what is not the same thing as having one of God's people speak words of forgiveness to you. In his helpful book, Pilgrim Heart, Daryl Tippins writes these words, we should not underestimate our need to hear the words that declare our freedom from sin. All Christians ought to hear and hear frequently that God is a gracious God, ready to forgive, ready to welcome them home. While it is true that only God forgives, it is also true that we can benefit from hearing divine forgiveness explicit, explicitly pronounced. In, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, the Apostle Peter says that everybody who's a part of the church is a priest. That every single person in the family of faith is, is someone who has been called and equipped to be God's representative. To somebody else. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul talking about the same mystery of, of the fact that we can be Christ to one another. He says that we are Christ's ambassadors. We are Christ's representatives. In chapter 6, he says we are God's co-workers. Priests, ambassadors, representatives, co-workers. The point is that we are supposed to embody the gracious and good work of God. That it's not just something you and I witness. It's not just something you and I benefit from. It's not just something we study or talk about or describe. What God is doing is what you and I are created to do. And what God is doing, according to all of Scripture, is in a world that wants to use our sins against one another Paul envisions a world where the kingdom teaches other people, teaches us how to not count our sins against each other. How to not just talk about God's love and grace and forgiveness, but how to make it real. How to make it something that you have not just thought about, but you have experienced, you have felt. Now, while it's true not one of us can personally forgive somebody else's sin, every single one of us can speak the truth, not only about our individual sins, but we can speak the truth about the fact that God has forgiven and is forgiving and will forgive you. And having somebody sit across a table and hold your hand or look into your eyes and tell you after you've you've said it all to say, God forgives you. You're forgiven. We need that experience. And as Daryl Tippin says, you don't just need that experience once. You need it over and over and over again. Because as much as I think we might at times struggle to believe there is a God at all, I think Christians struggle more with the question of, does the God I have really love me? Does the God I believe in really like me? Does the God I worship really want to be close to me? Those are my struggles of faith. Those are the things that keep me up at night. And I have to feel that I'm not alone. Years ago, I experienced, uh, I experienced this really powerfully. And, and it was mainly because I was in a, a situation that I didn't have any control over. And I didn't, I, I didn't get to ask, well, do I agree with this or not, or would I do this or not? I was simply along for the ride. So I was at this men's retreat for the weekend, and, and I'm having trouble, because when I'm ever at a church event, I'm, I'm you know, feeling, even though it's not my job, I'm feeling responsible, and I'm asking questions about why we're doing it. We get to this place in that weekend where we are asked to take an inventory of our sin, So we're all sitting around tables, and we're all being quiet, and somebody's playing Just As I Am, and Amazing Grace, and all those songs that that might maybe have a chance of making me be honest, even for a split second, and they're playing it in the background, and we are supposed to be going through all the things in our lives that we know are sinful. And we're especially supposed to be thinking about names and faces of people we have sinned against. So we, we spend time doing that. And i got to tell you, I had a long list. This was years ago, so the list is longer. But I had a long list, and I had a lot of names, and I had a lot of faces, and it was a burden. And it was stuff I knew that I just never wanted to admit to anyone, including myself. But here I was, and, and then a woman got up. At this men's retreat, this woman gets up, and she just starts telling her story. And it was a hard story to listen to. All these men sit around these tables. We've just taken the inventory on the people that we have, have been hurt or betrayed or walked away from or abandoned. And you have to know that for everybody in that room, at least somebody on that list for them was a woman. And she gets up and she starts to talk about her life. And she starts to talk about how... Every single man in her life that she had any any kind of relationship with at all had hurt her in some way or another or had walked away and abandoned her. And it started with her father and it just kept going. And her life was a mess. She talked about a drug addiction and an alcohol addiction and how she almost lost her life to those addictions. She talked about as, as it got to the worst moment that she could remember because she said so much of it, I was I was out of it and I don't even remember all of it but the worst moment she remembered was when she had to resort to prostitution to pay the bills and to try to score one more hit and I'm telling you it hurt to listen to her story it hurt it was it was an honesty that was brutal and then it was a truth that became beautiful because the second part of her story wasn't really about her and what she'd done and and what she'd been through and what she'd gone through and what she'd put other people in her life through. The second part of her story was about God, about how God had broken into her life at its lowest point through an ordinary, everyday Christian woman who instead of ignoring her and walking past her, stopped and asked, can I help you? And that began a friendship that's still going today and it, it changed everything. And she talked about how through this woman and through this church that this woman went to, through everyday ordinary men and women, God broke into her life and helped her understand that God's grace was in her life before anything else was in her life. And God's grace was in her life when everything was going wrong. And God's grace was in her life now and that what God wanted to do more than anything else with his grace was not to make her feel worse about who she'd been but to set her free it was brutal and then it became beautiful and at the end she talked to us about the fact that she was blessed enough to work at that church filled with these people who reminded her over and over of God's goodness and God's forgiveness and grace. And then she said something I did not expect, and I'll just confess to you right now, I don't even know how I feel about it theologically, but that doesn't matter. Just go with me. She closes her notes, she, she comes around the pulpit, and she puts her hands out and she says these words, I'll never forget them. I am a woman who has been hurt by men in every way a man can hurt a woman. And in the name of Christ, I forgive you. And I am a woman who has hurt men in every way a man can be hurt. In the name of Christ, I'm begging you to forgive me. Now, everyone in the room knew. We hadn't done anything to hurt her personally. And she hadn't done anything to hurt us personally. But she wasn't speaking for herself. She was speaking for someone else. She was speaking for God. She was speaking for Christ. And it wasn't some magic wand that made all of the brokenness and all of our relationships with women in our lives magically go away, but it was a beginning place. It was a starting place to understand the foundational truth that, brothers and sisters, we need moments like that where somebody doesn't speak for themselves. They don't even try to speak for the other people that, that you may need to go back and work at and reconcile and all that stuff, but still, you have to have a moment where you're given hope again. You have to have a moment where God's grace is not just some doctrine we're talking about, but it's a reality that's in the room with you. And I can look at you after you tell me the truth, the ugliness of the truth, the the brutalness of the truth of what you might have done or said or felt. And I can say to you with confidence that in the name of Jesus Christ, you're forgiven. And you and I need to have moments where relationships, where we're able to open up and tell the truth and have somebody else say to us, I forgive you. You, you need to hear those words from people. And I'm afraid that we're so afraid of the consequences that we don't ever really open up like that. I, I'm convinced that there are marriages where you don't really know each other. And I'm worried that there are friendships where you're afraid that the real reason that person's still your friend is they're a friend with a version of you. And here's the thing. If you don't have a single person in your life that knows every single thing about you and loves you anyway, you're never going to trust that God does. You're not. Because if every single person in your life is only, only loving you by knowing you partially, How could you trust that someone could know you fully and not love you in spite of it, but love you because of it? Find somebody. If you don't have somebody, you need to find somebody, and you need to tell them the truth. Tell them the truth. Help them understand who you really are. Not who you wish you could be. Not the church version of yourself or the work version of yourself or the date night version of yourself or whatever. You. The You just woke up and you haven't combed your hair or brushed your teeth yet. You. That's you. And Jesus died for you. Not some of you. Not a version of you. But You. And you need somebody to tell you that. You don't need to just read about it. You need somebody to help you experience it. Tell the whole truth about yourself and trust that God's truth is greater. I mean, your your sin is the truth about you. But it's not the whole truth about you and it's not the greatest truth. The greatest truth is that no matter what you've done or what you've said or what you've felt or what you will do, God loves you and he always will. We're going to sing together now, and as we do, our shepherds and their wives will be standing in various places throughout this room to receive you, to talk with you, to pray with you, maybe to tell you a little bit more about our church family or what it means to become a Christian. You know, traditionally, this time in our church service years ago was a time where we would sing a song like Just As I Am or Amazing Grace, and one person would be brave enough to come down here and admit to the rest of us that they struggled with sin sometimes. And I worry sometimes that we don't go to these shepherding couples because we're afraid somebody else in the room is going to think, well, I wonder what's going on with them. Something's going on with them. Something's going on with all of us. And we need to find a way to tell the truth about that so that somebody else can speak to us about God's truth. And so please, if you came this morning with a burden on your heart at all, these couples want to be Christ to you. They want to be community for you. I'm going to ask them to stand real briefly so you can kind of see where they are scattered throughout the room. Go to them as together we stand and sing.